Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Under Pressure Outdoors is brought to you in part by Hasmore Outdoor Products. Hasmore Outdoor Products manufactures quality replacement seats for a multitude of climber brands as well as a host of other products built with the hunter in mind. Take it from us. Your butt will thank you and you'll be able to spend more hours in your stand. Hop over to their website by clicking on the link in the podcast description and order the tree stand trick out kit for your stand today and you'll have everything you need to hunt longer and harder. Make sure you use code UPO15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Make sure you swing that mic good and close to your face when you're sitting down. Yeah, about a about a fist distance is yeah. about all you want. I, I know I need to be a bit closer. So last time we had you in here, what did we talk about? Was it just I, fishing? I think last time was a good like intro, but uh recently been doing a lot of river stuff, which has been uh very interesting. Lots of species. Um doing some some stuff down in South Florida on L sixty seven canal, which actually connects um basically from Miami homestead area to the Everglades. Kind of one of the last water bodies in between there and uh, being that far south, just a lot of more interesting species show up because it does not ever get cold enough. So a, a lot of those cold tolerant species can still thrive there. Right. <laughs> so before we get way too far into this. Are we are we going? Oh, yeah. No, we're no, going. Yeah, we're I didn't know. Right I still now. wasn't sure. Cold, cold, my bad. Open. cold open. He's, oh, okay. <laughs> been, been working on it. Literally. Man, he, he, he'll he get you because you're just sitting here talking. Yeah, the like, thing like is, every so, day, and all of a sudden, I was like, "Oh, well, we've yeah. been recording for thirty minutes now." <laughs> That's because so much of our best stuff was often before we started rolling. Yeah, yeah. We've now we get in, all your personal goodies. Try to repeat it, it, but we kind of figured out that if it's not like three, two, one, like if you give somebody a three, two, one, then it's like easy to clam up. But right. if you just get somebody talking and rolling, you just hit record and then just keep rolling with it. Not as many people kind of claim up. Sadly, right. I missed your your nice uh, your cold open. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. know if that was part of it. I, if I knew that was part of the episode, I would have. I could have waited. He, he was practicing. <laughs> there there it is. we go. Not as good as that. What's that Tommy Bahama beer you're drinking? Oh, so we got Kona Dude, Big that's Wave. Kona Big Kona Wave. Big Wave. I'm not cracking on it, man. I just that stuff is superb. How Publix does them? Buy one, get one free? Yeah. Ooh. Promo Publix, but uh, man, it's it's a good change it up beer. I love it. But, so, I'm your host, Will. And then we got Jordan. I'm here. Let's do it. Jim. Yep. Briar. How y'all doing? And Kyle. Kyle is a fisheries biologist, so tell, tell the people who made new listeners, tell them exactly what a fisheries biologist is, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually do freshwater fisheries research um, based right here in Lake County. We do a lot of long-term monitoring where we're looking at trends on various water bodies, seeing what changes. Um, Lots of sampling from fish species occurrence to plants and habitat work. Um, That's kind of my current occupation. Uh, My background focuses on biology and have some experience on rivers, which is 
kind of my passion and that's what i've been getting into recently in the free time as well so uh, lots of more interesting stuff going on that recently hopefully short version he gets to fish with dynamite (laughs) (laughs) i thought that electro fishing electric electro fishing electro fishing it's a catchy name too a welding machine it is It, it runs off a generator the one we have is essentially one you would have in your home for like hurricane preparedness same exact thing but it goes through a control box so uh, yeah. a little more fine what they call that what they call that william monkey fishing yeah <laughs> <laughs> all i know is, I still that is that's like a thing they used to do back in the yeah. day though. yeah yeah there's a way to do it with like car batteries but so, so we talked to a uh, car batteries and jumper cables right yeah <laughs> we talked to an old like an old game warden which was like back before it was fwc and uh, he chased this guy for the longest time that would monkey fish, but they used to use a telephone, an old telephone, like a rotary phone. Yeah, like a rotary phone. Thing. Yeah, huh? I it, see. I feel like you almost got to be like an electrician. Like it, yeah. it takes knowledge <laughs> to do that, man. It's almost yeah. impressive. Like I was gonna say, I'm still waiting on my blueprints after the last episode, <laughs> yeah. but you never sent them. I was gonna say, I say you would be surprised how many of those like backwood poacher guys like that just know how to do that kind of stuff because they've been so backwards just, well they're they're still smart yeah because yeah. i mean you got to know okay you what's know going on stuff. with that with that particular piece of equipment yeah and how you can modify it i i gotta be honest i don't <laughs> understand electricity that well i can tell you the basic you know okay. current and flow but man to be doing that you know putting that current in the water if i didn't know what was going on yeah. I, i'd be nervous <laughs> so so that episode was uh the last episode we did of the uh, outdoors of a bygone era series our first ever season that was with uh retired fwc lieutenant bob lee yeah and he's done he's written a couple books but he's man talk about a storyteller but yeah he was he was hunting a guy that was doing a lot of that um uh, monkey fishing or electro shock fishing with a uh he said like the the field telephones he used to use in the military yeah that's like what a hand it was. crank yeah that's and he would hand crank it and catching catfish or they guys in lake george and the surrounding waters around there it's oh, wild man <laughs> so that was uh that was a definitely interesting episode and he's got he talks about that dude all throughout his book yeah i'd uh, like to meet that guy too yeah <laughs> dude problem I would, I would honestly love to get a hold of that guy and be able to do a podcast with him I, you know that part, golly, that thing would be a show. Yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> but this week we're here to talk about fish. Yeah? Yeah. Still hunting season, but it's winding down. We only got so much longer left of turkey season, although there's quite a few states throughout the rest of the United States that are just kicking into turkey season. But it's time to start trying to switch gears. But as I hate to say it, fishing season's coming. Yep. I can talk about fish for days. (laughs) It works for me, man. Well, good, because I'm a terrible fisherman. (laughs) I got to say this. uh, March was good fishing. I was doing the same pattern, saltwater fishing, same patterns as always, but uh, it just produced. So it was was fun fishing. Got to take Dad out a couple times and uh, really successful trips. Uh, How'd you do this duck season? It was hit or miss. I uh, my outboard went down at a, a pretty critical moment. So I, I was actually we were trying to get you to come out with us when yeah, your motor I died. I know, I know. It was it was rough. I had essentially I had one good week. I was I, I had the teal good for one week, and uh, besides that, it was pretty slow. <laughs> pretty slow. <laughs> Should have took but, us up on that offer. I know, I know. I didn't get out as much as I wanted to, and I I do regret that. No, oh, so I really, I, I got out quite a bit, but I still feel like I didn't. 
I didn't get out near as much as I wanted to this season, duck hunting either, because you and me both. I let a lot of deer hunting consume my time this year. Right. And then last year I was like, I'm not going to deer hunt as much. I'm going to duck hunt more. And then I just did the same thing and <laughs> deer hunted a whole lot. Yeah. I got to say, I like the comfort of my boat so I can, I can duck hunt, man. <laughs> I do prefer <laughs> it. <laughs> so earlier you were talking about working on the canals down South. Yeah. So we were, I think Homestead would, would basically be the closest city or, or area that we were near. It's, it's called the L67 canal. It feeds towards the Everglades, um, controls water flow both ways down there. And it's essentially one of the deeper refuges uh, for the whole area around there. Cause most of it is that Everglades drainage, real shallow sheet flow water, but this is some refuge. So you see a lot more concentrated fish when there's low water levels, uh, being that it's still summertime, it's hot. We saw a lot of those non-native fish that came from areas that have similar climates and that particular South Florida is really a hotbed for non-native fish because it never freezes there. So these fish can survive for years and years. So how did we get non-native fish? I say the majority of our non-native fish. There's, there's probably, I'd say maybe two main venues. Um, the main one, I'd say aquaculture. A, A lot of it can be either from fish farms for food, whether it's food production or ornamental aquaculture. Those are kind of the two main branches, something like a tilapia that was a really popular farm fish that you would grow for human consumption. Those are all over the place. Areas around maybe something like Ruskin, where you see a lot of tropical fish farms, because again, Florida doesn't have those freezing winters, very good place to raise tropical fish, but they also escape. (laughs) So we we do see a lot um, kind of centered around some of those areas as well. Yeah, you can only do so much with keeping fish inside of a pond when the pond overflows or levee breaks. And yeah, or hurricanes. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, I never really thought about that. Like, I always thought it came from, like, people's aquarium fish getting too big. Uh, that but, That is a big one as well. Yeah, and But I never thought about, like, fish farms and then, you know, they overflow or whatever and then birds come in and get stuff. And, you know, if the bird doesn't eat it but it drops it in a nearby waterway... Which goes back to, we talked about how did the fish get to these, you know, distant ponds. And we said, you know, eggs on the leg of a bird, theoretically. Yeah. But same thing can go for these non-native fish. They're spreading pretty rapidly from means like that as well. So yeah. getting getting to the important, con, you know, text of this conversation, which of the invasive species are best to eat? Oh, that's a <laughs> tough question. You know, the big pushes for lionfish, if you want to get into the, the saltwater oh, yeah, side, yeah, people yeah. like those lionfish. If you want freshwater, there's actually a lot that can eat really well, good table fare. One is the mine cichlid. Atomic um, sunfish. Atomic sunfish. Yeah. And those things. So technically, the atomic sunfish mine cichlid is not currently classified as an invasive fish, which we'll get into the difference between exotic and invasive because that is a distinction. But Currently, it's not classified as invasive, but that one's super tasty. Um, you know, peacock bass you could eat. That one's more for the sport value, but tilapia, those are tasty. Oh, uh, of course. Uh, brown hoplo have a certain food market that is, you know, very desirable, that those are really important commercial fish even. Um, lots of these non-native Oscars. People are eating a lot of these non-native fish, and they o- taste good. Oscars, I can't. Uh, <laughs> Oscars. Oscars not something I'd ever think about eating, but right? That seems like an aquarium fish yeah. to me, but yeah, they're but loaded down pot- there. Oscars get thick, man. If they've yeah. got a nice wide fillet and they don't have a big bloodline, why not? And when we were talking to anglers down there, the Oscar was that was the most common fish they were catching by far. Like mm-hmm. outnumbered 
every other fish they were catching, you know, three to one, even more than that. It's a weird looking catfish. Oscars? <laughs> yeah. Oscars are like a, look like a bluegill. Yeah. Yeah, they're a little different. I don't know. I was thinking uh, the dang armored catfish. Oh, the yeah. pleco. Pleco. Yeah, pleco. Yeah, those are those would be tough to eat. But so, somebody is. <laughs> I know guys that have eaten them. They're pretty them. good. You just got to get through the shell. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I, I'd imagine it's something similar to cleaning a gar. Don't know. That people do. I've heard good stories about gar too. Yeah, oh, well, gar is delicious. Good eating them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we we went out bow fishing one night and then um, got some gar and then Jim made uh, gar balls. Yeah. Oh. The yeah. only thing that sucks about gar is just getting them out of the. Once he, getting them out of the case, man. You know it works yeah, real yeah. good. Yeah, it works real good. Ten snips. Yeah, real ten snips. I've heard a sawzall works pretty good too. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that. Use I didn't a have sawzall, sawzall to clean them. Yeah, you can use a K bar knife and a hammer. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It works. No, I don't. I don't doubt it. Yeah, but I, I clean them with a dang pocket knife. I will tell you this. I don't know how? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know how you got through them scale. Very, uh, very uh, labor intensive. Yeah, one and done with a hammer. pocket knife. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny to do all that for it's fish. Serrated, you don't, you yeah. don't imagine. <laughs> once you once you get through the the scales on them, and then it's just a matter of like skinning it, basically. Yeah, yeah. The flays have filament, like wafers of filament, all down the thing, but all down the yes. You know, but it's a big, bright white, beautiful fillet. Mm-hmm. The it, but, the meat looked really good. Yeah, throw that sucker in a food processor. <laughs> <laughs> and now you got crab cake, man. I mean, a little binder, delish. Oh, it was killer. Briar yeah. didn't even like fish, and he ate the crap out of it. Yeah. yeah. So, talking about them invasives, when you do that electric fishing, uh, what do you do when you get those invasive species? Uh, we put them back. We we do sample them like any other species, measure length, weight, um, record the actual like biological metrics but uh, we do we put them back in the water at this point a lot of them are so well established that essentially you're not going to make much of a difference if you're releasing them or keeping them yeah um which i a good thing to clarify i guess would be the difference between invasive and exotic so an exotic fish to me makes more sense non-native just anything non-native to that area would be an exotic fish uh could be either brought in from aquaculture could be somebody released it from their pond could be Habitat expansion because of climate change, just something not native to that area is exotic. The distinction for invasive fish is that they cause ecological harm. Essentially, they're disrupting the current ecosystem. They can either establish, reproduce, um, outcompete with the native fish or native species. So Florida right now has 17 listed invasive species. Not all of those are fish. That can be like the pythons and, yeah. and, and iguanas. I, I forget. There's there's a handful that are fish, but it's like so it's is, roughly yeah. half maybe. Is the bowfin is Lime. the bowfin one of them or uh, so bowfin is native, but the snakehead oh, okay. this the snakehead, snakehead yeah, which snakehead. is similar morphologically, but yeah. um the snakehead is invasive, which that one has established even in like I think Virginia and stuff like that is oh, seeing them. So geez. those are a real problem. But again, people eat those, and there yeah. is a, a sport fish. You know, people are targeting them to fish. They eat Topwater hits are supposed to be great. I so. see, I've seen a lot of people going and like posting YouTube videos of purposely going after snakeheads. Yeah. yeah. So I, it, there is value to some of these. I mean, the the harm they cause obviously outweighs that they are disruptive, but uh, you can see like the peacock bass, it's an attractive fish. There are certain fisheries developing around these non native fish that are, it's important. It's something to consider. But so is the peacock bass, is that the exotic? It, correct peacock bass is currently it's an exotic it is it's a non-native okay. fish but it is not listed as invasive um 
I, they occupy a slightly different habitat than a largemouth might. So I, I think that's the theory behind you know classifying them as non-native versus invasive, where they're not disrupting quite as bad. I want to come back to peacock, but why not before we do that, go back to the the snakehead. And I wish I could remember the magazine that I read it in. Um, it was like a it wasn't something you just picked up on Facebook. But they told a story. They were trying to figure out. It's go, it goes back to like the first time somebody caught a snakehead, mm-hmm. and they track some things down. And it doesn't mean it's the only way they get him. But in this particular case, they're pretty certain that what happened was there was a person who had immigrated here from Asia, and they were snakeheads were apparently a pretty common table fare. I mean, something you bought commonly there. And that person was in um, a fish store, not, not where you'd find food fish, and saw the snakeheads and thought it would be a great idea to release the snakeheads in the retention pond behind his house. So that way he could grow the snakeheads for his own personal consumption. Of course, mm-hmm. like we talked about, birds, whatnot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Next thing you know. And now they're they're everywhere throughout South Florida. It doesn't mean that's the whole that's how all yeah. of them got there, but that was that was like apparently something that I don't know if FWC or I've I've literally heard that story. So oh, really? I, I think okay. there are certain cases that you can track back even to individual populations that are just so invasive that they um, they expand. Yeah, the point is that, that rapidly. That, that's a good eating fish for those of you that might snatch one. Yeah. Don't put that one back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't encourage releasing it. Go I ahead think, and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> that's a fair reason to say why you. People should not fish with goldfish. Oh, that's another big one. That's I think they're actually illegal to use as bait because yeah, they, they get are, off the 100%. hook and and you can you I've actually seen goldfish in a river that are like yeah you know what's ten funny? plus pounds. We have a we had a guest on one time, um, John Grosta, and he's got pictures of these goldfish that are like 10, 15 inches long. That he yeah. catches on his fly rod. And they're just <laughs> yeah. absolutely nice. huge. Yeah. And they say there's a value to them too, like a, like a koi fish are supposed to be expensive, man. Maybe, maybe we can market these things. <laughs> Put that sucker in the live well. Sell this thing on the black market. <laughs> I don't recommend that. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, not encouraged. But so the back to the lionfish. The lionfish they're venomous, aren't they? Uh, so good question uh, there's another poisonous versus venomous um i would say they're poisonous they a venomous fish uses the venom like in its prey to kill something whereas a, a poisonous like for example a poison arrow frog it, you have to touch it to get the, the poison or, or like to consume it so yeah. poison more of the defense venom more of like to attack I venom so, i think venom i think it actually has to physically bite you yeah, I guess right. I got that wrong. Yeah. So you thinking, got the biologist. Well, You're going to get th- these. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> what I was thinking was venom has to be injected. Poison can be, you know, like you said with the poison air frog, you touch it. Or, it, yeah, you know, or right? ingest it, but like the, eat it. The uh, the lionfish, it's in the. Um, the quills. On yeah, the, the spines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I kind of went with the venomous because you had to bump it. but Right. So anyway, that was a tough anyway, one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they are difficult to clean. That's a big um, barrier to getting them really like you know for people to accept it as a good edible species that's one that the fresh from florida which encourages eating florida produced wildlife or not wildlife sorry but florida produced products they're actually trying to market selling lionfish which it's a great tasty fish they are just difficult to clean yeah see that's one of those things and then, and then uh there's a certain species of puffer fish that's you got to know what you're doing. Yeah, right? And I'm, and they're like, yeah, just eat it. I'm like, yeah, or, you know, 
maybe I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lionfish, at least the, the fillet, is the safe part. You just got to worry about getting around the spines to get to it. So right. I'd like to try it. I've I've sampled I, yeah, it, I I wanted, but I have not. I, I've never caught I'd one. Say, but how like exactly how poisonous are they? Because are they like Ooh, deadly good poisonous? Question. Oh, I'd like to know. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. We might need to look into that. I was like, because if, sure. if it's just going to burn like a crazy. <sighs> or like a catfish. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, I mean, if like I eat it. Like a catfish, it, yeah. If I eat it, it's going to give me the runs. I mean, that's, I mean I could live. <laughs> right. It's not going to yeah. give you the runs if you eat it because it's in the spines. But like if I'm cleaning it and I get poked by it, is my hand just going to feel like a uh, like a dang scorpion? He's like, is it going to hurt or am I going to have to cut my hand off? Yeah. <laughs> all right, for science. <laughs> if it's going to hurt, I can deal with it. Put a tourniquet on it. You'll be all right. Yeah. From, from what I understand, it really depends on how it's it's not like a bee it's a lot worse than a bee sting but i understand that like in some people it can actually cause some paralysis and respiratory distress oh, you that's know lionfish i mean yeah but yeah, as i understand it doesn't matter who you are that if you get poked you're going to know it and it's going to be very ouchy you know so you brought this up jim and this is a like way off subject but you said a bee sting and i got stung by a wasp the other day Ooh. and that's the first time i've been stung by a wasp in a long time I forgot about that. listen it hurts i forget what the guy's name is but he's got a YouTube channel. He may even be on yes. TV now. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Where he guys. purposely gets like bit and stung by poisonous stuff. That was a TV oh. show. It was, it was started out as a YouTube channel. Yeah. Is that the guy that has the like whole pain scale? For, yes. Like yeah. insect bites. I think oh. he actually let himself get he he let himself get stabbed by a lionfish. I'd like to know how he rated it. I saw the one where he took a bullet ant. Yeah, I think he, yeah. yeah, he got in over his waders real quick on that one. Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I've been whacked by a velvet ant up in Ooh. Georgia, which I guess hurt, is actually a wasp. Man. Yeah, and it it got me on the toe, and it was one of those things where it's a quick whack like somebody hit you, and you're like, "Damn, that hurt!" And you're like, "In you know how pain comes, and you kind of expect like now it's supposed to start subsiding." It it didn't do that. And it's kind of like, ow, ow, ow. And you start cussing like, Jesus, man, what happened? That's, that's how it was. You know, and it stays there for a while. That's how it was the other day. I got stung. It's a big old red wasp stung me right here on the thigh. Like, oh. I still got a damn bruise. That was probably, it was, it was red? It was like a red pink? wasp. It was a wasp. I saw it. Okay. Uh, it was attacking its reflection in the uh, passenger side window of my truck. And I walked past it. It landed on my hand. I slung it off and it came back and stuck me right there on the thigh. I still have a bruise from it. Huh. This was Monday. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and I was I, for a second there. I was like, I, I was like, wow, that really hurts. What happened? And I had to like sit there and rack my brain and see the wasp flying around. I was like, I just got stung by a wasp. Lift my pants, my shorts up. Sure enough, zap the shit out of me. And then uh, I went and got my wasp spray and rained hellfire on all the nests I could find around the house. So <laughs> they're Vengeance. gone now. <laughs> yeah. Got payback. Yeah, no, you're not gonna you're not gonna sting me and get away with it. Yeah, oh, little paper wasps. They look. They look like they'd be hell on earth, but I got in a bunch of them. I mean, it's not comfortable, but I was kind of surprised that the paper wasps, they're, they're not much better, worse than a, a horse fly bite. You ever run your four it's, over? Yeah, I was going to say, nest? listen, that's a whole, that's a whole it different. It was a hornet's yeah. nest, but uh, you want to be off topic and we're talking about wasps. Hey. I ran my fooler over a hornet's nest Yellow and jacket? got stung 28 times. You know the the when in doubt throttle out guy That's a high score. actually didn't throttle out. He uh, just jumped I off. I attempted to throttle out, and I yeah, at sure. that point in time I was kind of high centered, 
and uh, my face was so covered in hornets that I couldn't see, so I just ran. We were working on our camp in Georgia once, and my buddy Jason had a son in his four-wheeler, and we were doing some kind of exploring, and I hear the four-wheeling distro, and then I hear, ow, ow, and then, of course, his son just the most gut-wrenching exactly this way. Ah! Oh, it's terrible, man. He felt and I started going towards them, and I was like, nah, they're still moving. I'm not going over there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my eyes sold shut. I couldn't see. And uh, it was bad, man. Brian and William went back and got my four-wheeler, but they took a fire extinguisher. <laughs> and they fire were all, extinguisher. Yeah. Knock them they, right out of the air. They were all, like, duct-taped up with gloves and masks and crap. <laughs> yeah, because you left the four-wheeler on top of the nest. Yeah, I running. think it was still oh. running. Yeah. yeah, it was running when we got back there. <laughs> yeah, I got calmed them right down. Yeah, I had I was I was it was middle of summer and I'm dressed like it's ten degrees outside with a paintball yeah. mask on and Both you know, of sleeves taped shut and then tried to spray him with uh with a star fruit fluid or brake cleaner or something and that didn't work. I so I remember. hit it with a fire extinguisher and it all just dropped. Jumped on it and drove away. Wow. But you know that kid that got stung, I was just thinking he's the one that's building uh duck boxes with us. Nathan, yeah. All right, back to fish. So what are these uh the sport fisheries that have been built around these uh, non-native or exotic species? I, I think the attraction is the variety. I mean, you've got a variety of fish that are definitely physically, like, they're good-looking, they're good colors, um, different from a lot of the freshwater fish you have elsewhere in the U.S., so you actually get a lot of non-Florida anglers coming from out of state to fish for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, fish like peacock bass are really popular, we're seeing the Mayan cichlids. Those are really pop. Those are really common. They're actually expanding really rapidly. It seems like so, they're all over the place. Another big one is the clown knifefish. I I didn't see any on this particular trip, but we have in the past. Those are a really unique fish, just shape wise. They're more like an eel. They kind of jump in the air if you hook them. So, people like targeting those fish a lot. Peacock bass, of course, are definitely you know one of the the big attractions for fishing in that South Florida area. Besides that, I think people are catching Oscars is another big one. Um, Jaguar Gapote is another that I mentioned that that is like a really unique pattern on these fish that they're really, they're cool fish. It's something you can add to your species count if you're into that. It's it's a unique fishery. It's the only place in the U.S. you can catch these things. It's the only place on earth you can catch all these fish at once. You know, there are bass mixed in. If you're into bass, you're going to catch bass too. It's kind of a cool mix. So I get the appeal. I was watching a video of a guy the other day just laying Oscars in the bottom of a John boat as fast as he could set the pole back in the water. Yeah, we were watching people. It was it was literally nonstop action, which fishing around here, I struggle for that, man. Freshwater fishing, if I could <laughs> have nonstop action, I'd be going there every afternoon, man. <laughs> it's like, it, it's a cool area. It's a cool well, area. We might have a decent place to share with you for some different stuff, but. Nice. Swanee, mouth, Swanee River's off. We're going south. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trip worth doing if the water levels are low those fish get really concentrated they're all hungry so it's really cool but we did you know with the theme being you know non-native versus native fish we did also the, the one plus side we did see some interesting native stuff we saw a, a redfin pickerel which people are familiar with like northern pike you know that's similar family but this one is actually it's in florida it's the smallest predatory fish in the U.S., which is kind of cool. It fills a really unique, um, really new, unique niche in the in the ecosystem. So you don't see it everywhere. So even with all that competition, 
we do still have some variety. So there is, you know, there's a healthy nurturey somewhere out there that these fish are, are growing up and then and they might not make it long, but we did see some inspiring stuff and a lot of variety. So is there any concern for, and I know there's places down in South Florida for, or are you seeing, I guess I should say, any barramundi that have gotten loose? I don't think they're loose. They're, I know there's like an established farm that you can go pay to fish them and then the other question is the arapaima that's like another one that there are like uh, people claiming they caught an arapaima i think some of those fish were linked back to fish farms that they are growing arapaima either for aquaculture or i think even maybe to eat i'm not sure but they tracked one of those fish back that like they could tell where it came from and somebody was clearly being dishonest with the photo they were saying they caught it so I, I don't think that those two particularly have escaped much yet because they're really in only limited farms are allowed to grow them. So, because I mean, it's my yeah, understanding. Not, not like, wild yet. Like the bear Monday is extremely aggressive, very hard fighting fish that would wreak some serious havoc. It's on it my did, bucket yeah, list, yeah. man. It's on my bucket list. They're cool fish. You know, they're, I think of them like a combo of a snook and a bass almost. They're really yeah. cool, but, um, yeah, I'd not like to see them in our natural water bodies. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> That's not one I'd encourage. So we're talking about like things and places that people think they shouldn't be, but shrimping. The Saint like the Saint John's River, dude, you can do some good shrimping if you know where to go on St. John's river and, and further up river again, yeah. than you might expect. So the, the area that I, I specifically target is Wallaca, yeah. which I think is Same. like 60 miles up river or something like that. So to me, it's crazy to think this little shrimp that's, you know, six inches long made it that far up river just as part of his life cycle. But we'll go and we'll throw a cast net, man. And it's, um, looking kind of right on the edges of those river channels, uh, pretty near the, the area we, launch out of is the Aklawaha river yeah. kind of where that Same joins place. up to the river so it's a cool run you run down the Aklawaha that gets back to you know i love river stuff so make a run down the river and then we're throwing the nets in the st john's and i mean some of the good throws we're getting like maybe four dozen and some of the best throws we've ever done and you, you know not all jumbos but yeah i was gonna say you would, you would be surprised like the amount of jumbos that you get in there yeah like, especially being in the river like a jumbo for the river what classifies as a jumbo Oh, you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. You're like, <laughs> you're like, Bite your pinky and make toe. sure that thing what? makes it in the basket right there. Make sure that one makes it in the basket. Yeah. We'll say hand yeah. size, hand size. Yeah. Like, That's a whole hoagie. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, I could fit that thing on a hot dog bun. <laughs> there's a woman. There's a, we should probably get on our podcast. Her name's Captain Lee Noga. And she's got a whole thing on Facebook dedicated to recreational shrimping. And, it's she might sell some goodies and stuff like that, but by and large, it's completely dedicated to getting people outside and enjoying so, the resource. Yeah, I, I haven't done as much. Groups. I haven't yeah. done as much in the St. John's, yeah, uh, as I have in some other places. But I can tell you, I've gone places like inshore, and people like I, I get buddies who are like, "Hey, shrimp are running right out, and we'll ride out." And last time we went out. It was like a bunch of nice boats, right? You got like a bunch of nice flats boats and everything. And I'm out there in this like old Gator Tracks mud boat. Mm-hmm. And it's loud as can be. And everybody's like <laughs> looking at me. Funny. You're not scaring the shrimp though. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're like looking at me funny. Like this is dumb rednecks out here. 
But man, we tore up some shrimp that nice. time. I've seen fellas. Yeah. We got we got our five gallons and rode out. I've seen fellas that have got their bottom finders and they've got them dialed in to be able to chase yeah. the swarms and. Yeah, there there was a, there dude, was guys I am in like minimalistic, commercial. dude. I, I I fish on a ginu. I don't even know what depth I'm throwing in. <laughs> I don't, I just, I don't even guess how long it sank for. <laughs> we just kind of went out there and we're like, "Hey, the boats were over here," and then we would kind of go through over there for a little bit. And we're like, "Oh, there's nothing here." We kind of move, and then when the cast net started to fill up, we're like, "We need to stay here yep. Yep. until they run out, and then we need to move somewhere else." Yep, <laughs> get I've in line wanted, with them. Yeah, I've wanted to do that. That's one of those things that every year for like three years I sit down. They run. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go up there and do that, like up north, you, right? And you got to get you a good taped cast net. Essential yeah. for yeah. for in the St. Johns, you have to. Yeah. It, you wouldn't catch them otherwise. Because it's. I think where I'm usually thrown is like 16 to 20 feet, yeah. roughly. So like, a normal net's gonna close up in that time. So the first year we did it, we just used duct tape and made a ring around the net. <laughs> it worked awesome. And yeah, I was I've like, seen it done. I have learned, though, that a taped cast net is a little harder to throw. Yes, because it sticks. Yeah. It's not perfect. So I was like, man, I need to invest in this. I I spent whatever, you know, 80 bucks on a net. We do say it's the one type of fishing we do that is financially worth it. You know, like we we go fishing (laughs) offshore. It's like you could go buy a fillet of grouper for way cheaper than the gas money you ever spent. But shrimping we is it's the one thing we got left that i'm like yeah i'm gonna go go shrimping because it's worth it i'll say dude people <laughs> underestimate how much fun it is too yeah you get a good batch of them you know yeah. when, when they're running we can we can pretty much guarantee we'll get you know a good dinner a couple of dinners worth and yeah it's what, fun i think what the limits five gallons isn't it it's five a boat isn't um, it? Five, five gallons, gallons five gallons no i boat. i want to say it's two per person though because i okay. usually go with just my girlfriend and i and we take four i, be, I believe it's two per person up to five Per boat. Per boat. I, I yeah. think don't don't quote me on that yeah. but i think that's, that's kind of like scalp and it makes sense yeah yeah you got the perfect boat for it too jim yeah I, I was thinking that up front and yeah cast net a lot of flat yeah un, un restri- what do you call it unimpeded unimpeded deck yeah, yeah. take that that's front perfect. seat off i'll bring the net yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'll do i'll let's go oh i like that i think that should be our next i like that yeah, yeah. So you got some more uh places where you're catching stuff that just seems like it shouldn't be there jordan me yeah uh i just got some places that are uh north central florida a little further inshore and uh, you're catching stuff like croaker man biggins yeah huge croaker mini redfish <laughs> that's essentially what they are yeah so laid them right on the water i'm not talking about they are like when when he says biggins you're talking about like at least a 15 inch croaker yeah. That's, that's tasty thing, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's serious. Bro. Yeah. I've, I've never even caught croaker that big in saltwater. Right. Put it this way: last time <laughs> we hauled a bunch of those out, and I was cooking croaker on the half shell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, striper are a little. They're more famous to be at shore, but I mean, same place you're catching good striper, you're catching croaker. It was crazy. The last time I caught one, I was like, no way. Yeah. No. And, and a couple of a bonus bluegill that were. They were titty ham bones. Yeah. yeah, ham bones, titty ham brim. bone. Eating yep. fresh. What well, you call them, Briar? Yeah, titty, titty brim, titty brim. Titty brim. You call them. They're so, <laughs> like they're so big, you got to hold them against your titty to get the hook out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to make sure that explanation got in there. As yeah, well as right. titty brim. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. man. I mean, it's so we kind of talked about it, and you said that there's a, a certain spring that holds. A higher salt content than other areas. I mean, 
Is, is it just because of the groundwater in that area? Or? Right, right. I, it, I mean, we got to name that one. It's Salt Springs. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. It, yeah, it's higher conductivity. It's got um the groundwater for whatever reason. Maybe it's... Would it be sulfur? Or? I don't think it's... Uh, it's not limestone. I'm not sure exactly what it is, that, but there's some kind of element that's it's dissolving into ions and that does produce a more conductive area in the water so you'll get that as kind of a refuge for some of these species something like a mullet or a blue crab might move further up river and and be safe in that area even if there's high rain flow because yeah. they've got that more conductive water I was still. Just, so you say salt springs so salt springs is on lake george and i have been fortunate enough at one point in time to have gator tags for lake george and i don't know if you've ever gator hunted lake george no but I don't, it's not the west shore, but the east shore, I hunted quite a bit. And you are guaranteed to get the absolute piss beat out of you by mullet at night. Huh. If you, tr- I mean, dude. Oh, as soon as like, you turn on the light, they just. No, not even turn on the light, dude. You just running down the shore, not out of nowhere, bam, mullet to the side of the head. Jump. And then you're like, bam, <laughs> mullet to the chest. It's like I'm throwing them mullet. in the box, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. <laughs> I mean, they jump bonus. like crazy. You got to watch out, man. You get knocked out. It's like they're like those dang Asian carp when you're trying to hunt Lake George. You get knocked out by mullet. So, you know what? I, I need to test this out. A lot of people are like, oh, mullet. A hard bottom sand mullet, like all up around the Panhandle area. Just, it is fantastic table fare. Fried, smoked, doesn't matter. I have had some smoked mullet, unfortunately, that. Cause I like it, but I've had some smoked mullet where I put it on a cracker, you put it in a mud. And somebody told me that, it, well, it kind of makes sense. It has everything to do with the bottom where you catch them. Because you see mullet in Wakiver, you know, in the Wakiver River even. But I've never, I've never tried to net or catch any of those more muddy bottom mullet. But someday i got to go find some place to do it to see if it really is just the bottom. Or is it fish to fish? But man, a 10-inch mullet, oh fried the bomb i've shot a bunch of mullet um in the alexander river coming out of alexander springs like bow fishing mm-hmm. wow some big ones that's the first time i ever got hit by a mullet running a boat they just piled up because anytime i've seen mullet they're, they're so when we were oh, dude when mullet we were piling. shooting Mullet pile up all over Lake George in the mm-hmm. Glen. I mean, there are mullet mm-hmm. everywhere there. That's what I was asking. Are you shooting individual and fish or are you just shooting into a pile of them? No. Shoot, shooting individual shooting fish. Pile, yeah. So what really? we were wow. doing when we had them, we were in an extremely shallow spot. I'm talking maybe five or six inches. And we were parked off to the deep side where we were blocking off the deep and they were having to run through that sh- really shallow stuff. So you had a lead time of about three seconds where you could see them start making wake on the surface trying to get past the boat. And we just park there and shoot them as they pass the boat. It's got to be about the cleanest water a mullet is ever in, too. Yeah. It's got to be as good as they taste. I was going to say, I would assume that Lake George is probably, I mean, you go to the Glen or you go to Juniper or anywhere, it's all sand bottom. So I would assume that Lake George itself, being that it's a shallow lake, is probably a fairly sand bottom lake. Yeah, most of that sand. I was thinking even in the spring run, too. That's good water. Yeah. Best place you could. They got a big digestive tract, though, man. That might be just days worth of allergy <laughs> backed up in there. I don't know if it'll taste any better. I don't know. I'd try it. <laughs> I'm willing to try anything at least once. Food-wise. <laughs> <laughs> so, is my understanding you did a little trip down the Peace River. 
Yeah, so that was actually uh, my girlfriend and I. I'm, I'm very blessed, lucky man, and she wanted to go on a Peace River trip for our anniversary. So that's how we celebrated um, a couple of our past anniversaries. And man, it's a really unique system to me. It's where I started working on actually as a biologist. My first job was on the Peace, and it's funny. I go down there and we're just camping, but I don't even bring a fishing pole. I'm mostly doing it for the shark tooth hunting huh? artifact hunting not not artifacts but shark tooth hunting and um just sifting gravel man it's what gets me uh, gets me excited down there you <laughs> find any cool stuff i'd say we found probably like uh, 600 teeth or so roughly and Jeez. then casey got one that was about an inch and a half a snaggle tooth hemipristis is what they call them it's a shark that was around like 30 to 60 million years ago really? she found this nice surface find wasn't even sifting just a gorgeous tooth and it's like man all this effort, and she gets the best one on the service. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was a good too. She set the bar so high. So it was a good trip, a uh, fun night camping together. You know, did a fire right on the riverside, and it's it's a really cool area where you can do. You actually can do a lot of great fishing too. Just uh, I focused on the shark teeth because it's more unique to that system. I'd say I've seen a lot of people find like, uh, well, I've seen that people find like megalodon teeth and the megs. And they've recovered mammoth bones out of the Peace River and all Dude, kinds they of Dude, they recovered stuff. mammoth yeah. bones out of the Wakaiva. Really? Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty wicked. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to check around in there. For, I mean, from my understanding, it was uh, somewhere near or in Wakaiva Falls. Hmm. I believe it because that's pretty Betty. Yeah. Limestone Betty. There's a Paradise Spring, which is <clears throat> more of a, a sinkhole. Up by Silver Glen, they've got oh mastodon on ribs in the in north the wall. Of, north of the river, or north of Lake George. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard about that one. It's, it's a cave dive, one. but yeah, yeah, you pay to play there. You said they have mastodon ribs in the wall. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Hmm. I think technically, as a you know, as a regular citizen, you're not supposed to remove stuff from like uh, vertebrates. <laughs> So like a mastodon and stuff like that. So shark teeth are fine. You can keep shark teeth because they're a cartilage. Not right. I, that's my understanding. So like hmm. stingrays, uh, shark's teeth, stuff like that. You can't keep, this is statewide. You can't keep arrowheads, nothing human influenced like that. And no uh, mammals. So is that just, so from we're looking the, for shark's that, teeth. Yeah. So is that just from the water? Um, this is on I feel pu- like there's a lot land. of arrowhead. Oh, cause in public, in public land. land, you're not allowed to keep um, anything human influenced like an arrow. It, arrowhead or a point something like that 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 might even be federal though something to do with the treaty with the i I don't know but i don't think you're allowed to take arrowheads anywhere interesting yeah Mm. so it it must because of the indigenous property and cultural appropriation things like that i think that's crazy Mm. because i was gonna say i feel like there's a lot of arrowhead hunters out there on private property you're allowed to keep it on private okay okay makes sense but you that's something I'd like to try. I have not ever found anything like that. But I want to try it, man. My yeah. uncle found a glass eyeball in uh, Rock Springs. One time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good find. We found a cow tooth. They found a cow tooth. I that might a, be the most unique find. I found a uh, I found a bullet. Uh, and you found a wedding ring. And a wedding ring. Ooh. Or an engagement ring. I'm sorry. It had something the rock like on it. Any diamond? Yeah. It did have a very <laughs> small diamond on it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you pawned it, didn't you? I did eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I gave it back to the, uh, like the little pay house at the front. Yeah. And they're like, we'll call you if nobody claims it. Like three weeks later, they're like, Hey, do you want this? And I was like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah. 
Took it to the pawn shop. <laughs> I was like 16 or 17, so that was 60 bucks. And back then, gas money. it was gas money. Yeah. yeah. You tried <laughs> to exactly it, it buy a dip. Yeah. Exactly what I did with it. We used to go to Rock Springs a lot and find shark's teeth. Man, I've mm-hmm. been there with my kids and found very small shark's teeth. That's me. You can, you can find them now like you used to be able to when I was younger. Yeah. But because it gets, it's pretty popular to look for that stuff there. It's a fun, uh, it's a fun, you know, day activity. It's a good drinking activity. You know, you're yeah. camping, you can do this good drinking activity. Well, so. I'll throw this out there. If anybody's uh, bobbing around in the Rock Springs run and you find a white gold wedding band with the date January 31st, 1997, look us up. There's a cash reward. That, <laughs> that one sounds pretty familiar. That there, one's Jim. been at the pawn shop for a while now. Yeah. <laughs> How long did you lose that one, Jim? Before my brother-in-law had his accident, so not too not too many years in, probably around two thousand. I think I think Zachary was born. So somebody else is already engaged or married with that ring. Yep, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't in the spring. It was uh, it was in the run. Just it was a cold morning, and it was, we were one of the first people to come down. It was early spring. We had to portage around down trees and things like that. Oh, all kinds of stuff we were creeping and crawling through that hadn't maintained it and spiders were dropping in us all day and it's one of those things that's, and they don't spiders don't bother me right but it's one of those things that you, you kept thinking like ah oh, man i feel like you'd feel like after a while you feel like you got spiders crawling on you when you don't and i got tired of looking down at like phantom spiders and, and one time i said i felt a spider crawling up my my arm and i said i'm not gonna you're not, I'm not going to be tricked this time. I'm not going to look down. I'm not going to look down. And it was crawling towards my hand. I looked down at my hand, and I had one of the big old orb spiders working its way down <laughs> it. And I just went, whoa. Like, I just flipped my hand away. And as I went like that, I saw my wedding ring because it was cold and wet. And also, I was going. And I launched out of the canoe, you know, before it hit the water, like trying to lay out, tip my brother-in-law over the whole nine yards. <laughs> and I was watching it hand extended and just – Right into the water, and where it was was, the water was up, and it was over the banks, and it was all muddy. But I know it's in an area that ordinarily has a hard sand bottom, and it's pretty clear. And we were tired of feeling around with it, <clears throat> feel around and find it with our feet. It's also in a place that had a whole bunch of little little freshwater mussels. Oh, so you just after pulling up, I'm not. We stayed in there until we started getting hypothermic. And uh, I, I bet Bill and I probably found about 600 little shallow little freshwater mussels. Finally, we're like, I think we've paid hard enough price today. Just go home and tell your sister that, you know, we really did try to find it. Yeah. So oh, the next one I got taken at gunpoint. So now I wear stainless steel. <laughs> I had a stainless steel for like 15 years. You know, it's the cheap ones that last yeah, uh, $10 worse, in, in, in New Orleans at a, at a, like just a little, uh, what do you call it? Um, flea market. Yeah. Stand. Yeah. So I Trotter lost still Williams. You got to take his whole finger. Yeah. yeah. I lost yeah. my first wedding ring. Uh, man, we've been, we, I don't need to know, know that we've been married a year when I lost it. And I went from that to, I, I was in the uh, PX and there was a guy that was like, I'll carve your name into a ring and for like 40 bucks. I was like, how much is a ring if you don't carve a name into it? He's like, oh, $20. I was like, I'll take one. And I just bought one of those without my name carved into it and wore that for a while. And now, like Jordan said, I've got a tattoo. So, well, I got to, I really do need to stop wearing the stainless steel one because I've gone 
you know, doing the things we do, climbing it. I know that if I break this finger or really harm it, if I don't get that wedding ring off instantaneously, I'm going to lose the finger. Because you're just oh, not yeah, going to cut the surgical so, steel off. I'll say, uh, especially okay. with the things that we do, if that ring was to get caught on something yeah. and it was quickly moving, there goes all the skin on your finger. Or even yeah. that knuckle and everything. I need to get one of those... Uh, what are they Quailos. called? Quailo or I can't remember the name of the other. Grove? Groove? I always want to say Quailude, but that's a drug. Yeah. So. Quailo and Groove make. I, I had a Quailo ring for a while. I didn't really like it. And so that's how I ended up here. I have a tattoo. and uh, Can't lose that? Not really. No. Mm-hmm. But. So Peace River, you the freshwater fisheries. What else you got going on down in South Florida and. Man, besides that, we've been uh, fishing out in between Crystal River and Homosassa area. That, that's recreational. That's um, yeah. man. Uh, getting back to that, it's been actually really great inshore fishing recently. Man, that's been keeping me busy enough that I was catching fish on shrimp, which is what I used to do way yeah. back in the day. I've been trying it for years, never works up here. Finally, the shrimp are working, man. So I'm happy. I can anchor up, throw my shrimp out, and uh, I brought Dad out. It was funny. He had friends of his in town from high school like you know just the old school guys and uh we rented out a pontoon boat out of homosassa yeah took him out first spot we went to we did you know the casting lessons everybody get used to casting took him to the next spot and by the end of you know an hour and a half of fishing they had each caught an overslot red i was like man that's pretty good for like yeah i was happy and i got to you know share the day with dad so that was fun one of the better fishing days i've done so Throwing shrimp, man, successfully, yeah. which is rare. Shout I don't out. have to go back to the West Coast, man. I, I I used to fish the West Coast like crazy, and then I just became an East Coast fisherman. Yeah. So I'm going to have to start hitting the West Coast again. Yeah, it's I got so- I got a shout out to T's Bait Shop, man. They gave me good yeah. shrimp, man. Yeah. I, I got a buddy that works there, and I was like, but, yeah, I'll go visit him, and thing, their shrimp yeah. were on point. My only thing with West them. Coast is my boat is not exactly fuel efficient. So, like, if I go out of Homosassa... I have to burn like a lot of fuel to even get, I have to bring extra fuel. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> so I get there and back. We, we stayed at an Airbnb, which is cool. Cause we, we were fishing, you know, into the evening and stuff. Yeah. And the run in the Ginu, it takes about like literally 40 minutes for me to get out and then 40 minutes back. I did that run four times. So I had that motor running for like three hours and I burnt 2.2 gallons of gas is what I put yeah. back in after that. I was like, <laughs> what the, it's like, yeah. I get I'm about, talking like miles per I get, or like gallons I get per hour. Probably. <laughs> maybe if i run it easy get 30 gallons out of six uh six miles out of 30 or yeah 30, 30 miles, miles out of six, six gallons, gallons of gas yeah i got the three gallon tank and yeah. that's like multiple trips it's lovely <laughs> the eight horsepower really sips man there, there's no way there's no way in today's day and age if that house right there at the mouth of the homosassa river going in the gulf if it's still standing through hurricanes is not an airbnb Oh, they all are. It is. They all are out there. You can. I mean, I don't know if it's an Airbnb, but you can rent it out like through a rental company. I'm yeah. sure it's probably Airbnb or something now. Well, that's the one. It's actually got a power line going all the way to it, right? Yeah. Is that the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. It's, it's like, like yeah, it's literally like house, Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I I know the one you're talking about because last time I was I was admiring the the power line is on poles that look like. Somebody just scavenged them out. You know, like, that's kind of straight. You know? <laughs> Leaning over a little bit because they've been through storms. And that's I called can, saltwater. I can yeah. only imagine. I can only imagine what it would cost them if one of those, if they lost power like that somewhere on one of those poles. 
I, I, I doubt, highly doubt that the power comes to be like, yeah, it's no problem. We'll come fix that for free. No, I figured that had to be owned by either a guy that worked well up in the power company or at, at the very worst was definitely an alignment himself. It worked up at the old you know? nuclear plant up the street <laughs> yeah, there. Exactly. Because <laughs> that, that house, man, number one, to build the dang thing would be god awful expensive just to get the materials out there. Good and then nice. the to and from the house yeah. every day with laborers. Yeah. So, somebody owned a barge company and then had linemen in their family. You know, they all got together <laughs> and put that house out there. Right. Yep. But I don't know, it'd be neat to stay there. I'm sure you could find it. I'd have to look it up, see if I can find it on Airbnb. I'm sure it's ridiculously expensive. But yeah. there's some good ones, though. We stay, I mean, we, we stay with like five guys. So it's, you know, nice split it up. But yeah, the state has a ramp. It's got a nice little back porch and all. It's pretty fun. Right on. There's you know, a lot right of Airbnbs there. that are extremely reasonable when it comes to like, you know, going fishing places. Because yeah. like, I've been to Pensacola and I stayed in a, a one bedroom, one bath. I mean, it was literally like your kitchen and living room were in one area and then you had a small doorway and your bedroom and bathroom were just kind of open right there together. And I think I paid like 50 or 60 bucks a night. That's awesome. That's not bad. That's, get way, you on better. Cleaning yeah. fee, That's way better than going to a hotel room. I mean, yeah. To me, honestly, because then I get my own private place. I got a place to park my vehicle. I'm not parking with a ton of other people. You got a kitchen. Yeah, I, lo- I love using Airbnb. Like when I go places, yep. when I travel to go places to fish, I love using it. Yeah, there's some unique ones on there. Like having a boat ramp. It's so nice. Yeah. yeah it's right there. You, you so. had that, that Airbnb that mom and dad stayed in when they came to Georgia, but you could only use it to fish out of during high tide. Because yeah. at low tide, the it water was, was gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't put a nice boat that in That place was ramp. sick, though, man. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, so like when high tide came in. No, I think tide was down when me and you put your boat in. Yeah, that's a 12-foot John boat. Yeah, but still. I mean, we I mean, we couldn't have ran it up there. I maybe, like, at somewhat of low tide, maybe could have ran my mud boat through that canal. But even when tide was down, you could put it in the boat ramp. The boat ramp wasn't far from the house. Hmm. No, you, you could definitely have like kept a boat on the trailer and dropped it. The boat ramp was maybe a mile from the house. Yeah. Uh, so you, your when John you stood boat on the dock, you could see the boat ramp across yeah. the Your your John boat waterways. probably would have been fine to just put long lines on and leave twenty four seven as long as you had the yeah. motor propped up because when water went down your boat would have just sat on the mud. Yeah. And water comes up, it just picks it back up. Right. But that I mean so I've always been interested in fishing, like we're kinda of talking fishing, but like outside of Florida Going to like South Carolina or North Florida, something like that, where the tide affects your inshore areas within like twelve foot, right? Oh, you, because we yeah, fish, those, yeah, we fish Florida, yeah, are huge. we fish Florida, and you're looking at extremely smaller tide differences. Well, you look at like where I lived in Georgia, right? We had tidal creeks less than a mile from my house. That when the tide was in, I could put my boat in, and you could run a boat up and down the creeks. But when the tide went out, they were gone. Yeah. There was like a 10, 12-foot tide in Savannah. But a lot of those places, and, and like South Carolina and stuff, I'd be extremely interested to fish because that tidal grass just holds so many redfish and stuff like that. And so we're it's fishing insane. on the tides, you know. Yeah. I like fishing on a full moon, you know. The tide, yeah. the water's moving. It's yeah. Sure get the fish going. So I definitely like I like fishing on the tides. That's how I plan my, oh, my yeah. trips, I, actually. I don't ever. I've always learned that, you know, like slack tide, you're not really going to catch nothing. I mean, that's just what I've always come to know that. Yeah. And then as long as your tides are moving, your bait's moving. Yep. And they're so, feeding. Yeah. Yep. They don't want to expend energy. Yeah. They're lazy. 
I remember going to a restaurant that was down on intercoastal in Georgia and then walking down their dock and standing there and just watching redfish tail back and forth across the other side. I was like, I've got to bring my fishing pole next time I come here. (laughs) (laughs) Because it was, I mean, just 15, 20 of them just going back and forth along the far side on that, that tidal shore side. I'd like to get to a point where I'm confident enough to, to kind of travel the East Coast and, and redfish it. Or even Louisiana, man. Golly, I'd love to go redfish Louisiana. Take a trip. That I can set up. Yeah. Yep. That'd be fun. It is interesting. Those it's, guys those guys bowfish redfish in yeah. Louisiana. They're way more common, man. Oh. The time when I went out, we went out. Well, we caught stripers, black bass, and redfish. In this anchored in the same place, <laughs> so Dang. I don't, I don't yeah. know that uh, we've talked about him here yet. But a good friend Sawyer, that is from, uh, he's from Mississippi, and he grew up like in the boat yards, and I went up there with him one time, and he told me he was like, we didn't do any fishing, but we actually went to New Orleans. We we're kind of passing through Louisiana and visited family and stuff but he was like listen he's like the red fishing up here completely different he said you can throw whatever you want he said you could put a beer can tab and put a treble hook on it and catch redfish that might be a bit of an exaggeration i'm sure it could be done but it, well he was like yeah. listen they literally they are like that much more plentiful and aggressive here that you can almost throw whatever you want and catch redfish yeah we, I'd like to fish that. So, <laughs> I'm not sure. that. It was a pretty basic system. Um, we went up the Pearl River. This is not, I mean, I, Pearl River is huge, and there's a million places that are like this. So it's not, you know, not that we have a humongous listenership in Louisiana yet, but we rolled up and on a, on a falling tide where, you know, tide comes in because it's, it's still very uh, tide. What's the word I'm looking for when? Tide influenced. Mm-hmm. So tide comes in, water rises, and it'll kind of float out in these like pasture areas, not quite the, the right term, but a flat area um, and make a pond. And then when it's flowing back out down the run, you'll end up with this muddy, this muddy slick that'll run out into the main river channel. So the muddy, milky looking slick, you can see it, it's like a wall. Right, as the if the river water's coming down the Peace River, it pushes that muddy slick in it. And man, all you had to do is put basically a knocker rig with a piece of shrimp on it and throw it out right where that line was from the muddy water and the in the clearer it's still brown water, but the not as muddy water. And the redfish would sit in that edge in the muddy water ambush and whatever just happened to run down there so you'd throw a piece of shrimp out there and an rig and it'd be flopping around and boom and i mean it was i mean if you didn't catch a redfish within 60 seconds of when your anchor went down just reel it and throw it out again and and we're i mean they're all various sizes everything from six inch redfish to um i don't know 20 26 inch redfish you know just and, and i forget what the limit was but we were there was four of us plus the captain. I think we were too short of a five-person limit, and I think the limit's like seven each. Yeah, plus black bass, plus a couple of stripers. That's like we're fishing with Captain Nut. He's like, if you're not getting a bite, just reel it up, set it back down there. Yeah, that's yeah. how it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I had to do that once the entire time we were out there with him, though. It, it was, no, he I, was He I was. was if, I d- if I did it, yeah. 
and then didn't get another bite, I'd reeled up and I didn't have any bait. Yeah, <laughs> I was saying the main bait. The main reason I stopped getting bites was because I was getting my bait stolen. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember Murphy. He says he put a little, little more bait on there. I said, "No, nah, it's good. Put it back down there, call it a fish." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they didn't need much, man. No. If you had if you had a fingernails worth of piece of squid or yeah. some of that, yeah, grunt, Somebody. they're just tearing it up. So, I kind of want to get back to your South Florida thing here. Can you, I mean, when people target stuff like peacock bass, uh, are you just using like regular bass fishing lures or? Uh, for the peacock, yeah. I think they, specifically peacock, I think they like hard bodied, fast moving, like a jerk bait or something like that. Rattle trap, maybe. I think a lot of the guys catching the Oscars and the variety, like the Mayan cichlid, they're throwing beetle spins. Um, like little like, rooster tails. Literally a rooster yeah. tail. A beater, yeah, I think literally rooster tail is probably another good one. Like. Literally, what you use for brim or crappie fishing? Yeah, one guy I did see fishing with like a little topwater. I mean, thing was like half an inch long. But <laughs> yeah. He was like something was popping at it every like five seconds. So these fish wanted it. So you can probably do with a little micro topwater or something too, mini frog or something. So how do a lot of those guys like are when you're seeing these guys? Are you still like electro fishing or? Uh, this would be usually when we're like weighing fish or something after you know. Post. Okay, I was gonna say how, like how do these guys react to you like coming through <laughs> electro fishing? I mean, it is a canal. It's fairly narrow, yeah. right? So uh, we generally stay away from the anglers. You know, yeah. our, the sites we're going to are randomly selected, which is. That's actually how you can compare it from year to year is only if it's random every year, completely randomly selected. So it's random where we're going. That's why, like, if somebody's fishing there, I hate to be like, look, man, I'm sorry. I've got to be near you, but I need to hit this site because <laughs> it was selected anyways. Uh, it, it's a narrow range. You're not really getting near an anglers, yeah. so not a huge concern, but enough. we were close enough that I was watching guys catch fish, and I was like, man, I need to be fishing right now. But <laughs> I'm actually loving it. I've got a fish in yeah. my hand. Right? So, let it's me tell like, you, the whole time you were doing that, they're going, man, I need one of them. Right. One of them <laughs> I was going to say, those, those couple of slabs that you sent us pictures of that were uh, – Yeah, some good peacocks. Yeah, these big, beautiful, big, bright orange. They got that yellow – thing on their on their what do you call it? what's the actual name for a tail fin is it caudal uh, fin caudal caudal yeah caudal fin and yeah. then the, the peacocks get this bulge on their head the males yeah, the the i don't know what the knot i, I don't know that's we'll what call that the biological term because it's the knot but uh it was cool seeing them they were actually they were paired up kind of breeding and they had that big knot that those cichlids get so, so you cock blocked them <laughs> Wham! Oh! sorry bud <laughs> what a way to go right? <laughs> she was the greatest man oh. <laughs> is there uh is there any difference you know like uh visually between a female and a male peacock or um that hump would would be a distinguishing of a male okay. i think if they were smaller size or out of the breeding season i don't think you can externally tell which is the case for most fish most fish you can't tell um some are sexually dimorphic where the male and female are different like a a bluefin killifish, for example, the male has really nice, attractive blue fins. Literally, it makes sense. But the the female is just this drab, you know, one black bar. That's it. So <laughs> yeah. you do get some. It's similar to the ducks, man. The the guys have to do all the hard work. We got to really show off. And uh... yeah, so it seems like a lot. Like that would be a lot like birds. <laughs> yeah, it's birds. The guys, the guys are all pretty, and then the females are just kind of. Blah. Blaine. Yeah, they got yeah. oh, got a big you know? old knot on his head. Yeah, yeah. you can see what that <laughs> knot turns to at midnight, baby. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they're like, dang, he's got a big knot. <laughs> a big old knot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
even the turkey got that. Yeah. They call the snood. Snood, yeah. They got the snood on the turkey, man. They all got something. She said, boy, this guy I met last night had a big old knot on his head. <laughs> Good Lord. Man, that's, that's pretty cool, man, because... There's so many, like you're talking about, there's such a diverse group of species of fish down there. And, I, I you know, we briefly touched on it. And I, I think the layperson looks at all that and says invasive species. But what you, you kind of, you're saying earlier that invasive species kind of outcompetes native species and stuff like that. So a lot of these fish qualify as exotic species because they're not competing with native fish correct uh, so to an extent they'll they'll compete i would say i guess an invasive will outcompete to the ex- extent that it will expand its range so an invasive is outcompeting um expanding moving you know to further regions if it's in a river it's going way up river or out outside of the river even to the yeah. floodplain um the exotic fish is anything something like uh, so we'll say non-native, not exotic, right? So you're looking at fish that might even be expanding range due to climate change. Right now, snook are are expanding their range way further north than they were. They're they're showing up in the Suwannee River around Cedar Key, areas that there was not snook, you know, in the past, at least not since the 2010 cold freeze. So you're seeing snook that are expanding their range. I'm not going to say snook's a non-native fish, but a fish that expands its range due to habitat or due to climate change. Um, so, is non-native so, in that area. Go, going back to the Swanee River, so, just how far up the Swanee River? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're showing up in the Swanee. Uh, uh, back to the, the fish, we were talking about fish in places you don't expect them. Uh, we were on Lake Monroe and saw saw snook, which is, again, I think that's like 80 miles up the St. John's River. Like These yeah. things are moving. They're very mobile fish. Uh, snook, especially in there, very well adapted to take over in these yeah. areas. They're, they're starting to theoretically going to reproduce further north and you know, they'll, they'll fill a different spot. The way I explain it to people sometimes, too, and it's it's super lame, like layman's terms, but they're like, there's no way they could be there. But I'm, you think Bass Pro Shop has redfish and bass in the same tank. In the same, right. And if you don't think that a redfish or a snook or something could slowly adapt working its way upriver then you're you're out of your mind i think if, if bass pro shop can't slowly adapt them to f- complete fresh water they can do it yeah. themselves in nature as well yeah what, there's, the... there's each fish would have you know maybe you know slight differences a snook yeah. is is yuri haleen they can go fresh or salt whereas a red might need a little bit of salt but you're right man fish can adapt much more than we expect which i think we'll start seeing shifts in what you know the area we fish in between crystal river and homosassa it used to be redfish that's what you go for now it's snook. You you go for both, but you know yeah. now the snook are there. So is is urahaline the word that means can live in fresh and salt? Yeah, is that the term? yeah. I I'm, I'll I'll, throw, I'll pepper a couple in there. <laughs> no, man, I, I love yeah. that stuff. Yeah, yeah there's that'll, a that'll be fresh and salt. We were in South Carolina fishing. Oh man, I can't remember what the name of the river is. It's one of the rivers they've dammed up and made into lakes. And there's some form they call them white perch. But they're not crappie, but they're a urahaline fish that ran up there, and um, I, I was I was just one another one of those things that it it it's not really supposed to be there. there I guess it wouldn't have been there, but some of the changes that man, man has made to the river then allows that fish to 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 run up up there, and they do compete with some of the other fish. So 
I guess that and it's South Carolina, it's not Florida, but I guess what would you call that? Would that would that be because it's native to South Carolina, it's right. just not native to that area. That's what the real question is. What do you call what do you call that? If, I, I'd if say range expansion. Snow- okay. Range expansion. Which which is, you know, a normal phenomenon with changing climate, etc. But um uh, it's interesting in that case that that species, you know, had more mobility due to human, you know, most of the time we hear that you're putting a dam that restricts the movement of, for example, a sturgeon. Um, a lot of our sturgeon, a, a lot of these really important places that they were going to spawn, they're now blocked by dams or uh, striped bass in Florida also are, are blocked by dams in areas that were natural habitats. They needed to go up rivers where they would spawn, reproduce. Now it's a physical blockade due to humans. So. Normally, I'd say humans restrict the mobility of a lot of these species. Um, In that case, I'd say range expansion due to human activities, though. So, when I think of, correct me if I'm wrong, like non-native versus invasive, the easiest way for me to explain it would be like a crocodile versus an alligator. Right. That, so that's not that might not be a good example. No, it's like because I mean, so you know we have croc- they, you know we have yeah, crocodile well, they, in Florida. Yeah. Well, right? that's what I'm saying. So are yeah, they okay, not? Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So they would be like considered invasive, correct? No, no, no that's no, a native, native. That's a native. It's different from the Nile crocodile. Okay, it is. It's a native crocodile. Okay. Yeah. How so, are they doing? I think they're do- they're doing okay as far as I know. Because they're all down by the Keys is the only place they live, yeah. right? It, yeah, further south. But I think they've expanded maybe like Fort Myers maybe or something. But as far as I know, they're pretty so, stable. So Florida has stable. its own species of crocodile. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's it's separate from the Nile. I forget I forget the actual species name of it, but it is unique, yes. And it's not a caiman. It's its, its own critter. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. But, and there are spectacled caiman, non-native, in South Florida as well. They've, they've, and, did they get here naturally or did somebody drop it off? Uh, from uh, Not naturally, from back to aquaculture, uh, pet trade, stuff okay. like Those are from pet trade or leather trade. So there are spectacled caiman, you know, a little four-foot caiman in the in the Everglades, essentially. Hmm. And hmm. crocodiles and alligators. And pythons. And, and, and so you and got one native, yeah. Yeah, one but non-native. Python, <laughs> python would probably be considered invasive. <clears throat> pythons are invasive. Pythons and uh, tegus, which is another really interesting reptile that's not... Lizard, right? Yeah, it's like a, a big oh, lizard, yeah. you know, similar Sharp to an teeth. iguana. I've heard of them. Like lizard that'll eat your little dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. big nasty things. So those are some invasive reptiles. So out of those, I, again, FWC, I think, was 17, is when I checked, 17 invasives. A lot of those are, you know, reptiles or uh, like nutria, for example, you know, big swamp rodents. So not all of them are fish. I forget how it all breaks down. But you can go down in South Florida and find um, uh, like chameleons. Yeah. 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 And those, uh, again, would probably be non-native or exotic because they might not be out competing. I think a lot of the times breeders would put chameleons in trees saying, oh, they don't leave the tree. So then yes they did obviously expand it's a it's right. an animal he's gonna go he's gonna <laughs> yeah, leave yeah, the tree well, iguanas um, you know. yeah so that might be an example of one that's you know not quite as competitive as an iguana that's gonna be running around eating your plants animals all that yeah. so well that's a chameleon like, would be a good I mean, non-native you, you think how fast i can like we talked about earlier off air that i had a friend that killed a female iguana in south florida last week that had 27 eggs yeah like it's Jesus, crazy. one female, twenty-seven eggs. Yeah, and that's not even probably her one breeding this season. She'll yeah. probably breed, you know, multiple times. I don't know. I don't know iguana. I biology, saw somebody. But... I saw somebody make 
Keys. Flan. 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 Yeah, from Ooh. Iguana Eggs. You know, we, we were talking about this Did earlier. you try it? No, no, no. I'm sorry. It was... It was I, I believe it was a legit thing. It was one of those things where they, they made it on YouTube. And oh, okay, yeah. Through, it was on... It was on I still have tr- trouble calling it iguana hunting, but that's not supposed to be uh, uh, pejorative. But I don't know, man. Something about it running around, <laughs> shooting lizards, whacking them in the. You know, I guess it is hunting. You still have to stop. Do there's people that have dogs for them? Yeah. Oh, I've <laughs> seen it. I've seen it. Have you seen that? He's got yeah. what is it? A, a German wire hair? Yeah. Yeah, he's got and, the beard. <laughs> yeah. And this dog, like the guy, don't even shoot him. He just sends the dog after him. The dog will go get. Like the live lizard and bring it back, kill it, huh. everything. Well, so kind of moving back to because we've talked, we've bounced in and out of peacock bass. I was looking it up for, for the show. How'd they get here? And as I understand it, FWC brought them here intentionally. And the reason they brought the peacock bass here was to forage on other things that weren't supposed to be here. Other exotics and non-native fish that were, uh, I guess, taking over some of the canals and whatnot. There's a, there's a really common one, a really widespread called the jewel cichlid, which is, it's in the cichlid, cichlid family, which technically a peacock bass is in the cichlid family yeah. as well. So the jewel cichlid, really attractive fish, really bright colors, all that, um, smaller, but, more numerous they've really been well adapted to take over in these canals and stuff they do great in canals which is you know most of the water bodies in south florida so i think maybe there was the thought that this could be a good specific predator of fish that are in the cichlid family stuff like that maybe they'll key in on those um that's the theory i i can't ever say that stocking a non-native fish generally to me seems like that might disrupt things um (laughs) i draw the comparison like people talk trout fishing the only trout I've ever caught was in Peru, which only, you know, I've caught spotted trout in the sea, but the only true trout I've caught was a rainbow trout in Peru. That thing obviously shouldn't be there. They're not going to make it across the equator. Like they, they're, <laughs> well, they're not supposed fish, to be in most of the places they're here. So they're not doing, yeah. yeah so like people encourage stocking of the rainbow trout because it was a sport fish. You know, that's what the, you know, people are going to come here to fish for rainbow trout. Well, no, it's out competing all the native fish. It's out competing any native trout that would have been there. It's you know, it's the top predator. It's out competing a lot of different species gaps. And it's like, yeah, I know you see the effects of this. I to me, it seems crazy to import a, a predatory fish or to encourage it. I, I don't you know. I didn't make the I decision. It, but I, I, as I was reading the article, I, wait, that was not an FWC article. It was it was a very well written article. But now that I think about it, it was on it was on another publication, and I, I should go back and look at that because maybe FTBC. That was how it was explained: is that FTBC brought them here in 1984? Right. And I do think it's plausible. I think that was part of it. The, no, I'm pretty I sure that was part of it. 1984 probably wasn't that well thought through. It might not have well, been <laughs> documented yet. <laughs> My guess is they did do their homework, and and from what I understand is the reason the peacock bass hasn't just exploded is because they're they're pretty saltwater intolerant, and they're they're really cold intolerant. Yep. So they just, I mean, I understand there's places you can get on there and just get into the peacock bass thick, thick, but for the most part, I guess they're a bit of a challenge to, to, to get on. But I'd love to catch one because they supposedly fight like champs. Makes sense because if, if they're, like you said, climate freeze intolerant, they're only going to stay in a certain area. 
Yeah, so the, the peacocks have only made it to like maybe Fort Lauderdale or something, not very far north. But the uh, the Mayan cichlid, for example, one that's more tolerant of those cold winters, they're in Lake Okeechobee, all over Lake Okeechobee. They're in the, the Kissimmee chain. Like they're moving further and further north at a way quicker rate. The peacocks haven't been knocked back since I think like the 2010 cold freeze is really the last one that really like slowed their range expansion. So I was saying I, right I now they're moving. I would assume as they slowly move further north that they probably become more and more cold tolerant. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, that might even be relevant to the snook. You know, we're looking at these snook expanding and in, in coastal water bodies that are connected where I, I think you'll start seeing fish that are, yeah, more cold tolerant that might. Or they can find refuge, right? They find the yeah. deeper water in the river. Maybe there's a couple individuals that make it that can like hold through those cold snaps and, and you'll see quicker range expansion. Yeah, yeah I mean, to, to really have a species adapt to conditions, it's not bred for. Seems like that would take a lot more than just 40 years. Right? I mean, yeah. even though, even though they, they, they do, generations are a lot shorter than, than human generations. That just sounds, yeah. That just sounds like really fast amount of time. <laughs> but right, yeah. I don't know. Maybe Florida things are changing pretty rapidly, though, man. We've got you know more connectivity. These canals that connect yeah. water bodies that never would have in the past. So things can expand really quickly. It's it's crazy what's showing up all around the state. Yeah, man. Well, I, I, exactly. I look at everything through the lens of the frying pan. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I do. I, I'm, I'm excited, and I, and I realize it's just a matter. You know, going alone would kind of suck because you don't really know where you're going, and you're gonna plunk around a little bit. And, and misery loves company, but I would love to. Any of you, man, let's just pick a weekend and oh, I run on down I, there. Yeah, and go sleep. south and try and catch some peacocks. Yeah, Can we shoot some iguanas too. Pile up four guys in a cheap hotel room. I we may stayed know at the Mikasuki Hotel, which was interesting. Yeah, I may. We stayed at the Mikasuki Hotel. Very interesting. Hotel <laughs> Mika, and Casino. Mikasuki. Mikasuki Hotel and Casino. How'd you do? <laughs> it was very interesting. Dude, I was up 40 bucks. There you go. I, I hit the jackpot, which was a $24 jackpot. But I got a jackpot. I got Machine said Yo, jackpot. The page's like five cents or? Oh, I, was, I was like 80 cents a poll. There's no such <laughs> thing as a penny slot. You're not doing penny yeah. slots these days. No, it's yeah. like 50 to a dollar. They bring you free drinks while you're sitting there at the slot machine? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Beers were four bucks. Not bad. But. That's not terrible. Yeah. No, that's not bad. No. But no, I, w- I would love to get down south and expand my freshwater fishing repertoire. I, I just want to take like a super lightweight. And I, I love catching smaller fish on a lightweight spinning reel and a lot of needle spin oh yeah and that's i'd say like (laughs) Like, what what draws me to saltwater is the variety and the fish taste good right mm -hmm. that's why i go do that over freshwater well now in these non-native fisheries you've got the variety you've got you know peacock bass jack margapote mine cichlid all this and they taste good so you've kind of got that combination that is what i think a lot of anglers want at least that's what i'm looking for so absolutely it's very appealing like, I, it, I got i got spoiled living in a, a subdivision at one point that had a retention pond that had all the i would say eight to ten inch bass you could catch yeah and they were there look you go i could walk outside and go oh cloudy day i'm gonna go throw a white jerk bait and i literally went five for five casts catching a fish before i didn't catch one one cast and they went three for three 
And it didn't catch one. <laughs> they were not well-informed fish. No, they were <laughs> They were not fast learners either because I threw them all back in the water. Yeah. <laughs> but we used to go down there with a tiny little spinner reel, and I had this little tiny hula popper. And I'd catch, you know, you get one of those 10 inches on that little four-pound test spinning reel I've got sitting over here. Oh, man, that was so much fun. Reminds you of saltwater fishing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I... And I understand, like, saltwater, my, my biggest thing is saltwater is, like, even if you catch a smaller saltwater fish, they fight. Yeah. Yeah. They I, fight harder. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it understands to me, like, I understand going south and then having that larger, like, spectrum of fish to be able to catch. Whereas, like, a peacock bass may, I don't know, I've never caught one. They may fight harder than a largemouth. Pound for pound, absolutely. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, absolutely. And I think the way to do it, realistically, go do, like, one day on L67 and then fish, like, Everglades or, like, uh, like Biscayne Bay or something. Like, do one day of the freshwater, we'd probably get our fill, and then go fish saltwater after. Yeah. You can do a really <laughs> cool trip down there. But it, it's a, a really unique fishery. I think you can get a lot of species that are literally nowhere else and, uh, you know, cross them off the bucket list, essentially. Yeah. So you, th- you mentioned catching a rainbow trout in South America, right? Yeah. You figure there's a bunch of fellas sitting around a table summer in brazil talking about the problem of crappie and bluegill and warmouth all down <laughs> competing with their native fish the, the spot i went to the guy I, I walked through a farm through his backyard because i saw a spot on the river i wanted to fish cut through whatever so i he came to me what are you doing here but i got to talking to him i know enough spanish to communicate and he said look man the the trucha they're escondido they're hidden and i was like what the heck are you talking about hidden fish and he goes look i'll show you and the the dude was catching fish by hand. He was reaching under rocks. And I was like, dude, you're not catching fish like that. And he showed me four trout on a on a skewer that he had just caught. Dude, I had no idea what a fishing pole was. It was literally catching fish. So uh, long story short, to answer your question, no, I don't think much research is being done. I think, uh, <laughs> I think techniques are a, a couple years behind. Yeah. But uh, it's like, really This important. has been brought you know, to us by... <laughs> I left him with my fishing pole. I had this extendable fishing pole. It was like the craziest thing he'd seen and i was like yeah dude if you can use it so i I left him with that he was fishing with it at the end and uh, (laughs) hopefully he doesn't have to grab him anymore yeah he probably threw that thing in the trash and went back to grabbing them by hand (laughs) and he did better (laughs) (laughs) how big was that stream that he was catching him by hand Uh, i mean it was pretty he was fishing a little like tributary creek going into the main river i mean the creek was about you know four feet wide something going into a river that was 20 yards across a pretty pretty wide river little hand size rainbows or how big were they uh, oh really inches, those are monsters. Uh, sorry that was big that was big that was i'm, I'm not <laughs> yeah. used to trout sorry, he's, he's telling a fisherman's tale here <laughs> i'll show a picture hey, i got pictures listen i'll tell you i'll tell you if you're if you're really just out there looking to break a state record okay with a, catch a state record fish hawaii's state record bluegill is eight and a half ounces, so get after it. Oh, <laughs> nobody's on that yet. Oh, that's us. Slip that in your yeah, suitcase. Where are you going to freshwater fish? There's not many places to catch bluegill in Hawaii. Oh, that's funny. I know. That's another fish that's where it shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> like, who brought it there on the plane? Right? <laughs> this is my emotional support fish. Yeah. My emotional support bluegill. How will you bring the bluegill? Yeah. Some redneck got tired of eating saltwater fish. And yeah. said, you know what? <laughs> it's funny because bluegill, bluegill are funny, man. The world record's like four pounds, uh, four pounds something. 
That's a big monster. Yeah, it's a big bluegill. Three hours to get it to the boat. <laughs> have you have you ever seen Georgia Giant bluegill? No. Oh my god. Massive. Well, I, I've I uh, I can't remember where we were fishing, uh, but we we're catching them on seven inch worms. Dang Dude, I've seen a, a two pound red ear, and that thing looked like a freak. I couldn't imagine yeah. double yeah. the size of that yeah. on a bluegill. The, the Georgia Giants. I mean, they're just they're what you would refer to as titty brim and that's a small one they're just super yeah. thick but they're a they're a hybrid fish they're, they're not a true bluegill uh but they're they're bred for uh like pond fish yeah stock pond fish uh and we were catching them in a stock pond but <clears throat> talk about a fun fight though it's there's fun. nothing like catching <laughs> getting it into a good mess of bluegill but man there's actually a lot of states the further you go west and north the state record bluegill really small <laughs> yeah Start claiming those. Yeah. <laughs> I, man, you're not going on our our Swanee trip. I don't you know should be. When are y'all doing that? May 7th? No. no, no, uh, no crawfish. Sorry, 7th crawfish. Yeah, uh, yeah. So 8th. 11th. The 11th is a Wednesday. So we got a five-day option and a three-day option. So Wednesday this is we're May, taking, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. May 7th. Yeah. When, May is the 11th, I guess. Uh, Let me look at a calendar. So May 11th, Wednesday, May 11th, we're leaving on a Swanee river state park we'll be two days later we'll be departing from lafayette blue springs on a friday morning so we got 18 dudes of which at least 15 are departing from swanee river state park and there's three guys that are going to meet us at least um i think they're all going to come up on thursday night spend the night on thursday in the cabin and then roll down and catch three days on the swanee and we're going to be, I mean, the, the, there's catfish, we've caught crappie, caught bass, but. The, now there's snow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's why Jim well, was there's also, there's also a big old monster Gulf sturgeon come out, levitate by your head. We've actually had them hit the boat, you know. Really? But for the most part, the, the meat fish that we just all guaranteed is going to wind up. We, we You wouldn't think that you could catch enough bluegill to wear eight, nine strapping guys that have been out on the river all day would fill up eating them and yeah we so yeah, yeah. nice it was and, easy yeah and what we were cleaning most of them is just scale them gut them tear the collars off bread them right in the grease oh, that's awesome. do it man so good yeah get those good fin chips yeah oh, oh dude yeah. the fin chips are the best i love it yeah are y'all camping at a different site like Every moving night. down Every river night. okay yeah yeah yeah. Swanee river. that's the best way to do it yeah no let me look into that no tents. Doing about ten. No miles tents. A day. There's no tents. Swanee it's, River. They're like screened in, raised. Oh, pole bars. they've got the. I forgot they've got the huts. Yeah, oh, it's so much better. The Peace oh, River, man. Yeah. We were on sand. It's it's not luxury. Yeah. It's fun. It's, it's no. It's just connected. about luxury on the Swanee, man. <laughs> yeah. I've done it both ways, man. It's it's having having electricity, depending on how hot it is, or you know what it's like. They got showers in each one of those places. You can really? stop. Real toilets. Oh, that's know. huge. Fresh water, potable fresh water. You can refill your canteens in each day. And only one of them is a little bit sulfur. Well, depending on the year, sometimes it's a little bit sulfury. In some years, it's like, good Lord. But all the rest of the camps are are good, clean, no problem, fresh water. So, And then along the way, we've figured out different places you can resupply, like where to pull off. And like, Circle K is right over there. Easy to run across <laughs> the street. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I figure, we figured that out last year because like, there's a fair amount of the river where I had zero signal. Yeah. And we got to this one camp and a lot of guys were like, I'm out of beer. 
I've already drank all my beer, and I'm that's like, critical. I'm that's... like, dude, I have some signal. Let me. I was like, we're fairly close to this bridge. Let me. Oh my gosh, there's a gas station on the other side of the river. <laughs> we can make and, it. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> like, I'll pay you back if you go get. Yep. <laughs> right. Well, for, Send first someone. First day we're on the water for 13 miles, and that first day we did a shitload of fishing. Yeah. I mean, so 13 I mean, miles it, is pretty far too. That's a good track. And well. This is almost defies reality because I think the river cruises along at three miles an hour and somehow it took us 11 hours to go 13 miles. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we were definitely stopping. There was some fishing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, it, and it's pretty cool because you can, once you get your rhythm down, even two guys, you kind of cruise along and you just wait, you wait for you find eddies where the, cause it's all limestone. And then you'll see where there's just, where the limestone sticks out and then there's a slow eddy. It's like trout fishing. You're looking for that still water. Yep. And you hang a, either a cricket or a little piece of worm two feet underneath a bobber and just plunk it in there and and you snap. And there's usually each one of those a whole two, three bluegill. The next thing you got a whole boat full of them. Right. Adds yeah. up. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And hang some bush hooks and whack a couple catfish. Yeah, let me see what I got going on, man. That's, yeah. I, that's something I'm definitely interested yeah. in. We'd love to have you, man. It's going to be a fun trip. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, like I t- yeah, I'll tell awesome. everybody that like my, my first year I went was last year and I did my three-day. And like Jim said, we went 13 miles, but part of that, thir- I was in a canoe by myself the whole time. So like, there's a couple times where you come around, like, you know, the river's going, you're, you're going <laughs> with the flow of the river, but you come around to bend and then the wind's all of a sudden in your face. So the current's going downstream, but the wind is blowing you upstream. So you're like paddling like crazy. So before we got to the camp that day, I'm like, I'm done. I don't ever want to do this again. Like... <laughs> screw this thing <laughs> and then by the time we got towards like the end of the last day i'm like hey, I don't want to go shit when is next year like I, can we stay another like yeah. 10 days or like <laughs> i don't want to go home like I, this has been a blast overall did yeah, the fishing pick up or it was just uh no the fishing was scenery. great no but there then was we got no, like, more springs yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Right, there was no water. like fish fishing having to pick up because the fishing was great the whole time but it was just the wind that had me pissed off yeah. right? and having to fight paddling. And I was in a canoe by myself. So when the wind blew, the front of the canoe sat up a little further and it would just spin my canoe around. So I was having Turn to right paddle. Back. I was having to paddle like crazy to keep up with the wind. Oh yeah. And you're, 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 you are so light too, that the whole boat was sitting up. Yeah. So you, were, yeah. you were trying to paddle yeah. a kite. You yeah. really did have a tough. <laughs> yeah. But. but seriously, by the end of the trip, I was like, I, either next year needs to be here like right away or we need like another you know six days or <laughs> like I, I don't want to go home well that that first night when just about every single boat somebody brought a bottle of bourbon and oh it, god and it, that was rough it wasn't the cheap bourbon either man there was no. in fact one gene's son gave him like a single barrel numbered bottle of kentucky bottled and bond something super special we had some yeah, so Let, there was, nobody hurt. Say, yeah. There was a lot of people hurting when we got to shore. Nobody was hurting by the time yeah. we were to say <laughs> Needless to say, the next day, we ended up rafting everybody's boats together yeah, and just drifting down the river. <laughs> <laughs> we got like so far, and I caught up to Jim, and Jim tied up, me and Jim tied up, and Steve, and then like, you know, people slowly caught up with us because we're just drifting, and they're still paddling. And then by the end of the day, it was just like a, everybody was tied up and wrapped it together, floating down the river. A flotilla. Yep. Yeah. And we literally, we turned our three-day into a two-day. Yep. 
Okay. Well, part of that, part of that was because we'd keep asking the folks on the shore, like, how far down's this place? And they'd be like, eh, about a mile and a half. We'd be on the river for, <laughs> we'd be on the river for three hours. We'd be like, hey, how much further is that place? <laughs> mile, mile and a half. You're like, well, the last guy must have been wrong. <laughs> Another two hours down the river. How much farther is this bridge? About a mile, mile and a half. <laughs> like, like, it was off by like seven miles the yeah. first time, man, you know? But we ended up just floating the rest of the thing on the second day, which was the blast because everybody just hung out. And it was fun. I loved it. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. You're not paddling by yourself this yeah. year, so. Yeah, I know. I definitely wanted to go past. I'm looking forward to this year because I want to go past where we stopped last year. We will. We'll go all the way to Branford. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll go way past it because there, we're starting. There was to, a kid yeah. at the, uh, I remember that really tall bridge. There was a kid that jumped off of it. No, he, he didn't go. Oh, he didn't. He was gonna though. I'm glad he didn't, man, because that <laughs> yeah, that, that kid that kid was seven, seventy. I mean, yeah, so much can go wrong when you hit the water from that high up, man. Like, he was at least seventy foot, like Jim said, off the water, fixing jump off this bridge. Yeah, and for fun though, like people were like trying to talk him into it, doing for fun. Yeah, could you see the bottom? No, and I don't know how uh, deep it was. I don't like that. It could very well have been twenty, thirty feet deep, but you know, even off a the well. 10 meter it's platform five. it's 18 you know you'll slow down pretty quick but there's also places in the river i don't know about necessarily there where you're you're bebobbing along right down the middle of that thing and all of a sudden your rock your canoe <laughs> and you look down you're like there's a big chunk of limestone sticking up or a boulder in the water so hmm. yeah i'm glad he didn't jump i thought for sure i'd be like well practice that practicing that wild wilderness first aid pretty soon <laughs> he didn't go you guys ready for a tip of the week? No. No. <laughs> I've got one. Go ahead, Jim. So, McDonald's has been hard up for labor. <laughs> <laughs> and I swung in there the other day and had to use the kiosk. And all I wanted was a double cheeseburger. So, you plug your thing in and you're scrolling down. And I see they've got double cheeseburger. And it was like, Three ninety nine for double cheeseburger, McDouble was two something, and then they had bacon McDouble. And oddly enough, the bacon McDouble was less expensive than the regular McDouble. Ooh. And then you know because they're the reason the McDouble is less expensive than double cheeseburger is they rob you a piece of cheese. So here's the tip of the week: when you go into the kiosk, hit the thing, go all the way down to bacon, the bacon McDouble, add a piece of cheese. And it is less than the double cheeseburger. Plus, you get the bacon. That is my value tip of the week. That's I'll that's a it. tough tip to beat. Yeah, <laughs> very specific, <laughs> but a good tip. It's yeah. a second. That's my second McDonald's version of tip of the week <laughs> in the season. The first one, I'll, I'll give you the bonus tip. If you didn't hear the first one, was when you go to McDonald's and you look at the menu, they have. Ice cream cone. I think it's like 99 cents or dollar ninety, whatever it is. It just is one price. Just because they have one price does not mean they have only one size. If you pull up to the window, a little thing, and you say, I would like a large ice cream cone, you will probably get a large ice cream cone. Every now and again, you run a little brainiac that says, we only have one size, and you have to remind them, no, you only have one price. <laughs> but most of the time, if you ask for a large ice cream cone, some of them get ridiculous to the point where they'll bring you out. You got like three inches of cone and like nine inches of ice cream on that thing. <laughs> <laughs> I cut a little off, you know, yeah. throw it in the parking lot. But 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, was, I eat way too much McDonald's, obviously. But if you're going to go, man, get your money's worth. I'm going to go with educate yourself. Yeah. Not just on uh, rules and regulations, but uh, of all the things your state has to offer. Uh, because if you're just coming out of nowhere, I mean, they're, they're, we talked about a lot of stuff that I didn't know was a lot of fish I didn't know even existed in Florida. I mean, the peacock bass is, is one that uh, I think has been made more popular due to uh, like guided fishing trips, and you see that a lot. But there's a lot of stuff down in South Florida that you could go fish for that doesn't exist anywhere else in the state or you know anywhere else in the United States. And if you don't have it now, we'll have it soon. Yeah, but you um, and then on top of that, educate educate yourself on the regulations. Is I'm going to say can keep and, I'm, I'm going to kind of cook it. I'm going to kind of piggyback off you, but I'm going to say that don't think that your bucket list is as far away from you as you think it is. Right, yeah. because yeah. with the species that are starting to develop or, or grow in South Florida, there's some species that you would have thought that would be on your bucket list that you would have to go to South America for when you can travel three hours or two and a half to South Florida and, and catch the same thing. Well, it's like the bear Mundi. Like one of those, that, that's a South American fish. You have to pay to go fish the yeah. places where they have them, but you could still catch it. It's South probably America. cheaper to pay to go there and catch it than it would be to go to South America. And, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't think that your bucket list is that, you know, that far away. That's a good one though, man. We got some cool stuff here. Yeah. Need some enterprising young rednecks to bring some Kaipabera and let them here. <laughs> Just make sure you give us a heads up when they get let loose. We'll clean them up. Let's do it really far <laughs> inshore. Yeah. So, mine is, if you like fishing, make friends with a fisheries biologist. <laughs> <laughs> you Good might learn. learn something. Let's see, I'll say... Catch uh, a few more fish, maybe. I'll say keep your eyes open for uh, cool stuff uh, above and below. You know, last week we were doing the shark tooth hunting in the Peace River. Cool stuff mixed in with the gravel and... You know, today we were on Juniper Run, and I was busy looking at cool air plants, epiphytes that I'd never seen before on uh, some of these, you know, native cool air plants in the trees. So keep your eyes open, stuff up high, stuff down low, always cool, unique Florida stuff to look for. Yeah. You know, we got to have him in more often because our vocabulary expands dramatically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, not going to remember it. it. I learned it. Yeah, we got to cut him down like every three months or maybe even once a month. <laughs> what's, what's, a, what's a fish that goes between freshwater and saltwater called again? Uh, Yuri Haleen. You're, you're you're you got to be careful who you say that around because you're offended. You called him a name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know. Shot a pedal and will kill that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys get your crawfish tickets, man. You've got two weeks left. Yeah, oh, get them. And uh, God, my mouth's already watering just thinking about two more weeks. I can just suck some crawfish heads. Yeah, throw the, throw the crawfish <laughs> yeah. in there. Oh, yeah, well, that's why I, <laughs> I, had, I had to differentiate, so nobody got me twisted here. Well, plus, it, it's looking like we're getting the friends and family deal, perhaps, on our pricing, which means what was already going to be a gross amount of crawfish is probably going to be... Maybe a grosser. Yeah, er. Chances are, if you eat a bunch of crawfish and you hang around to the end and you want to take some home, we'll send some home with you. People that think they got a lot, of crawfish, a lot of crawfish come to us and say, you got a lot of crawfish. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, and we ain't going to put the seasoning on them after the boil. No mustard, no Old Bay. Yeah. I may bring some Old Bay along as a gag. Yeah. The seasoning, <laughs> the seasoning goes on during the boil. You're not seasoning the crawfish if you throw it on once they're already in the cooler. Yeah. 
No, that doesn't. Who does it that way? That's a long story. Facebook comments. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got called white people by a white guy. Uh, it was, it, yeah. But, no, there was a. Anyway, yeah. Was a, <laughs> That's another story. Yeah. <laughs> well. Kyle, thank you for joining us, man. It's been another great episode. Yeah, uh, guys, I had a blast. Man. It's been great meeting oh, you, man. Yeah. I look forward to getting back with you again. Absolutely, man. This is this was a blast. You know, always look forward to chatting with y'all, and I look forward to some fishing too here mixed in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some shrimping, shrimping. <laughs> <laughs> what is that's August, right? When do they yeah, start running? Fall, yeah. fall, fall, so yeah. August, September. Dude, that's awesome. I intentionally, I didn't even put in for gator tags this year. I just. It hadn't even came up yet. Whatever. I'm not putting in for gator tags. Whatever. <laughs> have them. Jim said we're going shrimping. No, I'm just, I mean, I just don't want to be up at three o'clock. I'll just be up yeah. shrimping, sure, but I don't want to, I just, I just don't have it in me this year to go up until three, four, five in the morning and then go to work the next day. I understand that. Hopefully, yeah. by come around next season, we'll be able to do it 24 uh, 7. Yeah. Well, that might be different. That's coming up in this next FDBC meeting. Every time I go, I always say, I'm just going to go two or three times. And it doesn't happen, man. It just, next thing you know, I'm just a zombie at the end of five days. You just can't. Last thing I read about Gator season, they were saying that that should be in place for this season. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess so. If they made it rule this next meeting and then it would go into effect July 1st and then Gator season doesn't happen until. I mean, I haven't I haven't seen it in the regulations yet, but the last email I got about they, uh, the allig- statewide alligator harvest was that that rule should be in place. They still all right, have- right, then I'm putting in for gator tags one more year. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case we can daylight gator hunt. They they still have to codify it at this next meeting coming up. Yes. They won't yes. see from there. So, Well, we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah. Adios.